get super happy in the presence of the Lord and not just kind of happy or, you know, feel like my life's not going to stink too bad, you know? I started just to think about, um, you know, what it's got to be like in heaven. Like, if you don't like laughter, you're, you're in the wrong kingdom. It's only going to get worse. <laughs> there will be much laughter and much joy and singing and celebrating and feasting and partying and dancing and shindigging. I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be a hootenanny. Good time. I'm from the north, so that word sounded really funny coming out of my mouth. I grew up in Michigan, but I've been in, in Texas for 10 years. I met that fox right there. After moving here for about a month and decided, I'm not going to leave. <laughs> um, but just like, if his kingdom is going to come on earth as it is in heaven, do you think that like at the end of the month, you know, Jesus goes to the Father and says something like, you know, we we had a really expensive month, Father, and uh, I don't know if we can pay rent rent on the New Jerusalem. I don't know if we're going to make the mortgage for the Crystal Sea. <laughs> and they like they don't start worrying about <laughs> where where their mortgage is going to come from. And, and I think about like the the community that Jesus had around him when he walked the earth, the community that we read about in the New Testament, how they continually saw Jesus meet every need. They continually saw Jesus defeat every difficulty that came in front of them. They didn't have food. He multiplied food. They didn't have taxes. They went fishing, and they got taxes out of a fish. That's craziness. One of the apostles' mom is sick. Jesus goes, heals her. Someone dies, he raises them from the dead. This guy has got the answers. Don't you think that if you were in that community, you'd kind of just, you forget how to worry, right? Something comes up, I've got the answer. His name is Jesus. Let me go get him. In fact, wait a minute, hold on. He trained me to do this. Let me be the answer this time. And you, you forget how to worry. Well... Jesus, I ask that you'd free us from worry, uh, that you'd show us your nature tonight. Jesus, um, that if you would even dare, Lord, that you would walk in this room. <laughs> you know, um, the most dramatic encounters I've ever had with the Lord is when the Lord came through someone else. He's hidden himself. And men and women, it was the secret that was kept hidden for ages. Is this mystery that all the prophets really longed to look into, and all the angels were trying to figure out how this was going to happen, the hope of glory, which is Christ and man, Christ and Johnny, Christ and Sasha, Christ and Kevin. It's the hope of glory. And so when you, when you actually start to see the Christ in Kevin, and honor Kevin exactly as he's made, he can literally transfigure and begin to shine. I've seen this with my eye. I've seen people change and begin to glow. 
He's in you. He's alive. Well, man, I, f- I really feel like the Lord wants me to talk about something on this computer here, but he keeps on telling me other stuff to say. <laughs> um, you guys ever have a friend who like worked at Subway or, or some kind of restaurant? And when you went in there, they would hook you up with free food. Wasn't that awesome? When you'd go in there and then just hook you up with a foot-long sandwich and you didn't have, it didn't come out of your own pocket? It's so fun, right? Well, you know you're stealing, right? Yeah. He's not, he's not like the owner. He's your buddy that works the food line. He's stealing from the company, and you're stealing from the company with him. It's thievery, guys. But you know what? You know what's really awesome? I love it when uh, a buddy of mine like, buys a really great worship album and then downs- downloads it onto his computer and then hands me the original copy so that I can worship my guts out in my car. That's amazing. Anybody ever had that happen? Oh, now you're starting to catch on. (laughs) Stealing. I mean, heathen, 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 heathen. I know you're royalty, but they're supposed to get the royalty. (laughs) You know, just about every Sunday morning, we're packing up our three kids, and we're trying to get to pre-service prayer on Sunday morning. So I'm usually going like, 75 down the freeway, just sinning. (laughs) Sinning all over the freeway. (laughs) Isn't it it awesome when someone entrusts you with like a really juicy secret and you know there's this one other person you know that's really good at keeping secrets that just has to hear the secret. And so you go and tell that person. It's just so gratifying to be the person that knows the secret and tells the secret to the other person who knows how to keep secrets, right? <laughs> Man, you just you betrayed someone. Spilling secrets. Isn't it fun when the IRS sends you back too much money? And you're like, jackpot. (laughs) I knew Uncle Sam owed me. I'm not going to tell him. Right? (laughs) Y'all are catching on. (laughs) Isn't it, it, no, isn't it really fun to be confronted by your own depravity? To have, like, these questions thrown in your face to question your integrity, isn't that a blast? (laughs) Amen, brother. (laughs) Did you know that this is what the church looks like to the unsaved world? Most of the time, we believe it's our job to go enforce the moral rules of God on an unbelieving world. And so we rally behind politicians that will do like enforce these moral coded laws and we and we we boycott restaurants that believe in something that you know is stupid to believe in and and we're continually touting what you're not supposed to do 
on Facebook and Twitter, and people actually know we're Christians by all the things that we're against. Guys, I don't, I don't want to be known to be a Christian by all the things that I'm against. I want to be known to be a follower of the resurrected Jesus because I love, I love really well. That I, I see someone who's in a com- complete depraved mess of a life, and, I th- and, I, and, I, and I'm able to smile at them and say, man, you're, you're awesome. Like, you've got so much treasure locked up inside of you. In fact, I was at a, one of my favorite burrito joints today, and um, it's, I go there really regularly. And so a lot of the workers know me, and I know a lot of the workers, and I, and I try to remember their names just so that they, they feel loved, you know, the next time I see them. And there's this one sweet girl there named Summer, and she has, um, you know, they're pretty demonic-looking tattoos. She's got, like, a pentagram on her and stuff. And, and I'm, I think that she's, like, practicing witchcraft of some sort, um, but I've just befriended her. And and every time, like I, I go and get a, a burrito made. If it's if it's this girl making my burrito, I'm just smiling and and talking with her and talking about her tattoos and when she's gonna get that dragon colored in on her on her arm and and um and today like I just uh, same thing. I went in there and I was just happy, just smiling. And the like two two of the workers just they noticed that they're like, man, you, you've got so much joy. And I'm like, yeah. Well, actually, what I, I was noticing is that Summer here, every time I see Summer, I feel like she has the sweetest spirit and such an amazing heart. And guys, she teared up and turned red. Like her, she's like, you are embarrassing me. You're so nice. (laughs) Don't worry, babe, I flashed the wedding ring. (laughs) But really, the world looks at the church as the the moral police. And we preach these messages that are really easy to preach. These like five-step messages that are called get your act together. It, we preach these messages where it, we we confront sin and and someone who's stuck in some kind of addiction and and we ask you know it, it it's as if we're saying, well I mean, have you tried not sinning? Have you tried that yet? Yes. You you stupid preacher. I mean, that's the reason I'm in church. I'm trying not to sin. (laughs) You know, I I hadn't thought of that. Thank you. I'm going to try to not sin. And, you know... This was the mystery that I was trying to figure out all this time. We, we preach messages like that. Did you know that Jesus, when he came, he laid out a life of holiness that was even more impossible for us to attain than what the law said? Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 4 and 5. And um, let me sum it up for you. 
Here it is. This is the Sermon on the Mount in like 20 seconds. Lusting equals adultery. Anger equals murder. Divorce equals adultery. Making oaths, that's from the evil one. Let people punch you. If someone wants your shirt, give them your coat too. Love and pray for jerks that hate you. Give generously secretly. Pray secretly. Forgive jerks. Fast secretly. Don't be ensnared by money or possessions. Don't worry. Don't judge people. Persevere in prayer. Choose the hard and narrow road. And if your righteousness, this is actually in another part, but Jesus says this. He says, if your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees, it's impossible for you to enter the kingdom. To which the disciples lamented, who then can be saved? Lusting equals adultery? Like, have you seen the girls of Israel? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) How am I going to get to heaven? Look at these girls of Israel. I'm an adulterer. Adulterers don't inherit the kingdom. You know, Jesus actually laid out a life of holiness that was impossible for us to attain. Do you know why? We were born in sin. The reason he kept on hammering on this problem in our soul, our inability to live righteously, and he kept upping the ante, is because he was going to attain the holiness for us. So that forever and ever, we would be marked by gratitude, that we would be motivated by his mercy, that we would be undone by his love. And then instead of us trying not to sin, we kind of just forget how to. Because we're in love with him. How can you not love a man like that? How can you not love a father like that? How can you not love a brother like that? They would take it all for you. They would earn you the righteousness that you've been trying to earn all along. But Jesus didn't forget to tell us to sin no more. In fact, there's a couple people, you know, that he would heal on the street, and he, that that's that would be his follow-up message to them. If you were like some kind of drug addict or 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 a prostitute, like in the streets of Israel, and you've got, I'm sure you have physical problems too, and and then along comes Jesus, and and he is like this spiritual superstar of your country and people are like, there's these rumors about him that he's the Messiah or maybe he's like the prophet Elijah that's been resurrected. And this guy, he, he comes walking down your street and, and he looks at you with those eyes of love and he tells you to stand up and he, and he looks at you like you're part of his family. He puts his arm around you and says, your sins are forgiven. Today, salvation has come to you. 
Your sins are forgiven. Be healed. Go and sin no more. And then, like, you would think that his next little sermonette would be how to get plugged into a discipleship group to get your stuff straightened out, right? I'm not knocking discipleship groups, but what Jesus did in this moment is he healed this person, forgave them of their sins, and said, go and enjoy the life I just bought you. He's that no-strings-attached kind of guy. How can you not love a guy like that? When you see him, you become like him. When you see him, you become like him. When you're touched by that kind of healing and that kind of forgiveness, you walk away from there, and you're healing and forgiving people. You're like, wait a minute, that's love? I thought love was this manipulative, strings-attached kind of agreement where we're, like, me and someone else are trying to get something out of the other person. Love is like this? But, you know, how long was it before that person that just got healed and saved sinned again? Do you think that they went through the rest of their life and never had a single other act of sinfulness or attitude or mindset or they never got sassy with their mom again? (laughs) And in that moment, do you think that person was like, I've undone everything that Jesus did in me? You know what I I'm a, I don't know what to do but I know what I I'm what I'm going to try to do is be extra super good for like 3 weeks and then maybe he'll forgive me again and his presence will return and I'll be an anointed lover of God again <laughs> And we begin to take on the nature of the enemy See, Jesus doesn't hate sin because he's the intergalactic rule keeper. He's not just ticked off because you broke one of his golden rules. The reason Jesus vehemently hates sin is because it limits your ability to enjoy him, enjoy life, to prosper, to feel loved. You begin, instead of taking on his image and nature, you start to look like a demon. See, it's always been about our image. In the very beginning, the Trinity got together, huddled up, and we're like, you know what we need to do? What we have here is so awesome. What we have here is so good. We need to share it. We got to create someone else. Like, we got to do this. Like, and so let us make man in our image. What is it that Satan wanted? Satan wanted God's image. He wanted to be the one that was worshipped. That's why Lucifer fell. And so when he heard the Trinity say those words, it was the most terrifying, infuriating punishment 
he could imagine. Wait, God, no. You're making that, that puny man that you formed out of dust and you're giving him your glory? I'm going to get him. I'm going to kill that. In fact, I'm going to get him to worship me and take my image. He's jealous. The enemy is jealous of you and the image that you bear. That's why he wants you to worship any kind of demon. Did you know that when you, when you obey a sin, you become a slave to it? You actually give your glory to whatever demon you're obeying. He receives your worship and you begin to look like him. You ever seen someone that, that goes down a path of lust or greed or anger and just gets twisted up looking like a demon 30, 40, 50 years down the road? Someone that's so bitter and can't let go of anger that they just gnarl up? It's always been about the image. You bear his image. And the enemy is jealous of it. The enemy wants you to worship him so that he can release his kingdom through you, his domain through you. Here's a weird one. If God's law says that a murderer is supposed to be put to death. Why did he let Cain live? And in fact, he, he protected him. Seriously, it, it says so in uh, Numbers 35 and Leviticus 24. This is God's law spoken to Moses for the Israelites. It said, put the murderer to death. But God let Cain live and protected him. Why do you think that is? He sure did. And it broke God's heart. (laughs) Thank you. Do you think it's possible that he gave us the law because it's what we wanted? Do you think that the whole purpose of the law was so that we could discover our own inability to live up to the self-imposed systems of righteousness and justice that we set up in our own minds? So that we could discover on our own that what we wanted was what, not what we needed. What we wanted was the law, but what we needed was grace. We wanted justice, but what we needed was forgiveness. See, Jesus, he's, the law came and it was in, like so frustrating for anyone who was trying to not look at the cute Israeli girls, right? The law was really difficult. And then Jesus comes and ups the ante. He makes it even more difficult. Do you know what he's doing in this moment? He's frustrating everyone and saying, there's no way I can do this on my own. Someone's got to do it for me. And we begin to drown in a sea of our own rules until we call for a savior that snatches us out of an ocean called the law and sets us on a rock called grace. Something that he did for us.
No matter how hard we tried, we could not make our flesh become words, so the word had to become flesh. And what was impossible for us to do, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful man to be an offering for sin, condemning sin in his body in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you accomplished for us something that we could never accomplish for ourselves. Jesus, you said that you didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And not one dot, not one word would disappear from the law until all was accomplished. And with your dying breath, you said, it's accomplished. It's accomplished. Would you let the reality of true grace permeate our lives? Father, we want to have encounters with mercy that release the spiritual substance and force called grace. The Titus 2.11 grace that says, The grace of God that appeared to all men leading to salvation has appeared to us, and it trains us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Release that kind of grace on us, Lord. Where we encounter your mercy and your kindness and your gentleness to such a degree that we can't help but follow you. That every waking thought is, how can I love him more? How can, uh, this is too good. I've got to do this for him. It's just too good. He did so much. Release that joy, Lord, that it's been purchased. There's nothing left for us to buy. It's been purchased. We could live in that joy and that peace and that rest. In Jesus' name, amen.